0: Greetings, all, be you, elf, dwarf, hardfoot, or human, all, except for orcs, that is, you are welcome here at the Feelin' Film miniseries where we discuss each new weekly episode of Amazon Studios' show, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, also Aaron. Hi, hello, and howdy. Good morning. It's good to see you. You too. I have been Buongiorno. looking forward to this all week.
1: <laughs> I mean, by we all week, just... we mean like the last two days since the episode came out.
0: I guess that's a good point. Yeah, it really hasn't been all week, so, but uh, which is good because I wouldn't want to have to hang on to this all week. We were talking about a little bit before we hit the record button and how since we're doing the show and kind of discussing it here in real time, we have intentionally kept ourselves from texting each other or reacting to things to one another, which is hard, but also (laughs) it makes this really exciting because I I know I'm super pumped to hear what you think and also to find out maybe what we learned based on or that could have changed our predictions or our thoughts from the previous episode.
1: Yeah, and I now, think that, like, because the first episode, like, with almost any series, the first one to two episodes is, you know, getting to know all the characters. Everybody lays the groundwork or the foundations of their story. So, like, you're trying to sift through a lot of data and trying to catch a vibe for everybody except for Caleb Brimbor, who's just really creepy. But, like, you're just trying to understand, like, you, you're trying to make mental notes of who's doing what with who and where the predictions of a series can go. So I always feel like between episodes three and five is really where you get to the grit of almost any series where you can actually somewhat plot the trajectory of where that season's going to go. So I was super excited when like three dropped. And I was like, I have so many like thoughts, theories, opinions. And I was like, it's it's also hard. Like, I'm glad that we record this oh, like less than like two days after the, the episode drops because- It's also really hard not to get sucked into the rabbit hole of like fan opinions online. And that's like the hard part, too, is that like I have seen some really cool fan theories where I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Kind of like what we talked about on the first episode. But I'm also trying to like hold my own opinion first and like have that conversation here before I let like other fan theories and things like that influence me.
0: Oh, absolutely agree. And it's and it's tough. It's I think it is a good sweet spot, though, because it does give time to reflect on it i had thought about like oh well, what if we were recording i know some shows do it that night because they want to have their you know reaction episode out the next day i was like man i i don't think i would be ready i've, I've watched want everything i wanted to summer. twice you know each time and i feel like i've caught so much more details because of that uh, but you're right it is also a challenge to not want to just go dive deep into the the theory whole, uh, that everybody else has. And I've done some of that, I will admit. So I'll, I'll kind of specify some of where my own thoughts came from and then some of my, oh, aha, maybe that's a good idea as well. Ones were, well, overall thoughts, uh, reactions, I guess I want to ask you this kind of as on a general level. Are you still positive? Are you still excited? Are you still happy with where we're going so far?
1: I am. Um, I, I think that, um, You know, the expectations that we all had going into this were, you know, as much as we tried to tamp them down, I think we all were still like, please, please just don't, please don't do what I don't want you to do, like, please. (laughs) But like, by episode three, I still think that they have placed enough intrigue and enough question marks in the right locations that we're still like, okay, like, you you can't really iron out your full predictions for where this season's going to go yet. Um and so I thought I thought season I thought episode 3 was a really strong indicator of how they're going to try to weave the threads of each individual storyline or character arc within the show. Um so I thought it was a really good indicator. I thought it was a
0: solid episode. Yeah, I feel much the same way. I actually was reading an opinion online just this morning that I sort of agree with in that it was a bit of a challenging thing that they're trying to accomplish here where they don't have the rights to all of the lore and so they're trying they're having to make stuff up in this episode we get new characters in this episode we all know the ultimate arc that is going to happen so we're telling a story that we know the result of so it's a prequel and so it's all about like how you get there and then they're trying to balance actual lore with these little bits of new direction that will drive the in-between of how we get there because they don't have the rights to that stuff. And so I sometimes I'm like, man, you really are describing everything in the dialogue. It feels like you you really are giving us a history lesson. And then other times I'll be like, man, I kind of wish you were giving us more <laughs> of a history lesson. Like it's not enough. I think it's it's a tightrope they're trying to walk to keep both longtime fans happy and understanding where those changes might be occurring, but also to kind of try and get new people on board with this background lore so that then they can build upon it. Because we're going to get to a point where it mostly, we're geeking out every episode because we're seeing things for the first time. That won't always be the case, you know. But we'll hit a point where the majority of the show is, made up (laughs) and so we won't be going oh my god it was that for the first time and i just think it's an interesting time of getting to there
1: and i think that like like i i 100 agree with what you're saying about like walking that fine line in that tightrope especially given how much uh fan churn and unfortunate like vitriol there was online leading up to this um but like i also feel like as a as a writer personally something that you have to balance is when to show and when to tell and so trying to write a script where the the root of the story is is focused in lore that you do have the rights to but how they get to those roots or how those roots intersect you have to kind of make up but if you don't have any of the background information some of those roots aren't going to literally take hold onto anything so there are a lot of times where like you said you know like she's explaining things and she's like talking things through where it's like it would be really great to just see what she's describing like Yes, the prologue, in my opinion, like the more that I've simmered on, it, I felt like the prologue was a little bit cheesy, but I get what they were trying to do by cramming in so much of the history and not having to sit there and tell you exactly why certain things matter. But there are moments where I'm like, oh, wow, like that would have really been cool to see as like a flashback or to see as like some some moment of action or a, a snapshot in time. Versus somebody just telling me why this is important. Um, So like there's a, there's a really delicate balance that I think that they're doing a, 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 an above decent job at. um, But it's also really hard with high, with, with like such high fantasy shows. Like this is an epic fantasy. Epic means massive. Like there's only so much that you can show. And with this being an already insanely expensive show, like this is not going to be something where they can give us every visual that we want versus sometimes they just have to fill in the gaps verbally.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, extremely well said the most part I love pretty much all of the storylines that we have going in this so far I will admit uh, before we get into them in detail I kind of missed not having any Durin and Elrond in this episode so I, I was like well that's sad I I wanted more of that storyline and to kind of see where it's going obviously uh, we are gonna not always have each and every character in every single episode and I appreciate that overall I think that is the right choice I would be probably complaining about it if they were trying to cram every single one in because then you don't give any single one enough length of time to, to breathe but I it reminded me how much I liked those characters I guess or sold me on how much I liked those characters that I actually felt their absence and was actively wanting them to show I kept ever I remember the first night I watched it I was just I was like okay the scene's gonna change are we going? Are we going? Are we going to see Elrond? Are we going to see Durant? Are we going back to those guys? And it just never came. Um, we also didn't see one, which I didn't miss <laughs> in this particular Yeah,
1: I, I think so. that, that that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, where the first two episodes are introducing you to every thread. So it's like there's no need for there to be a, like movement of a thread for every episode. But when you watch the first two episodes back to back, and then you have a gap. It feels like something's missing when you're missing one of those threads. So like looking at the big picture, every episode can't show you an action event with every single character. But like, I, I completely understand the feeling of like, wait, somebody's missing. Like we, where's this person? So I, I I get that like desire of like, well, the last two episodes, I had a little, like I had a slice of pie from everybody. Why can't I have that here? Like even just just show me them like washing their clothes or like, you know, breaking up a piece of rock or something like, but like the balance between... Tugging the thread and like lengthening the thread, I think is really going to be what comes in handy here. Is like eventually we're going to end up with a giant tapestry, but not every thread needs to be worked with in every episode. I'm going to keep going with this thread analogy.
0: (laughs) I like it. No, it's it's a good one. It really is. Uh, One more thing before we talk specific storylines that I wanted to bring up or get your opinion on as well. I have not fully loved the way in which the show has dramatized its big speech moments at times. There's a a scene in this where Galadriel is talking, and shes I think it's when she's introducing herself to uh, the Queen Regent uh, of Numenor. And I feel like there's a bit of a slow-motion problem, both in the dialogue and at times in this filming of the scenes. I think of the scene of her and uh, Ellen Dill on horseback on the beach. We randomly go into some like slow motion movement for them and she's all happy and cheery. And I don't know, I, I, I get what it's trying to show us is like, Oh, there's a moment of release for her, but I just didn't love the slow motion use there. I felt like it was a little overused. And then there's also this just incredibly dramatic, Uh, You know, big pauses between everything she says as if everything that's coming out of her mouth is just this big, grandiose production, almost like a stage play. And I think it's maybe being a little overused. Have you noticed that at all that stood out to you? Or am I maybe I'm off base?
1: It has, but I get what I I think the reaction that you're having to it, though, is almost what they're going for. Like, I did find the whole horseback riding thing super cheesy, um, but I'm also just terrified of horses, so I want nothing to do with them. But like, I like when they're riding towards the tower or whatever, and it just shows her like actually like feeling joy when obviously a large percentage of her life has been sorrowful, especially over the last, you know, several hundred years. Um, so I get what they're doing there. I it did feel a little like forced and out of place. I feel like almost like that something like that could have been more meaningful once we had more information about her character. Like once we saw that, like if we had, if we had several episodes to understand that, like, and you're just sitting there like, dude, do you like ever smile? Or like, I get like stuff's tough, but like, like, like you want to drink or like, you know, like, so I, I felt like it was like, it felt too early for us to have that moment. I don't think it was necessarily like a bad moment. I just felt like it didn't mean as much as maybe it could have if they had if they had used it at a later time. I also felt like it was weird that they did that with Elendil's character because she doesn't really know anything about him. So for her to have this almost vulnerable moment with a complete stranger felt somewhat out of place to me. As far as the speeches go, I think what they're trying to go for is literally what you're picking up is that like everything in like an elf and especially like a highborn elf like she is says has like it carries weight to it like and I I always think back to the Ents in Lord the original Lord of the Rings series where it's like you know we take our time because it takes so long to say something that everything we say we need to make sure it's something that we actually care about like unless it's worth saying we're not going to say it um and so I think that they're trying to push to have weight behind what she's saying. I did feel like some of these uh moments felt very preachy um and they came across as like I'm standing at the pulpit. Do not under- like do not understand the gravity of what I'm asking. Like yes, obviously they do. Like you're literally standing in a courtroom full of people. She has to hear requests like this every day. I do respect the path that they're trying to show for Galadriel, as far as her character art goes, she's been very hardened by not only what has happened to her and her brother, as well as like everything that she has been through since she's like literally trying to protect these people, and nobody wants to believe her. Nobody seems to care, and yet she keeps pushing forward. So I get that very hardened exterior. She's definitely not the most charismatic character. I don't know. They're going to have to do something really, really bold over the next five seasons to show how she eventually becomes the Galadriel that we know from the films. Something's going to have to soften her in some ways. And hopefully it's not just like riding a horse. But, like, something's going to have to give eventually. But, like, I really want to see somewhat of a relationship developed between Galadriel and Miriel because I think that that's going to be key is that like you can tell Miriel's hiding something the queen of Numenor or the queen region or whatever she is um like you can tell that something's up like she is battling both the opinions of her people as well as what she thinks is right but I also feel like there's something else like there's something that we're not like that we haven't learned yet about her that she like she feels Burdened by something, and I don't know what it is, but it doesn't feel like it's just being queen. Like, it feels like there's something else that she, like, we haven't learned yet. Um, but I want there to be a chisel of ice off of both of their shoulders as they, as the, over the next like two to three episodes, I feel like just something has to give on either one of their ends because this hard to hard exterior is going to get real, old real quick. So, somebody's going to have to give in the next two episodes.
0: I think that makes perfect sense, and it, it probably will. Uh, I mean, you're right it they they're definitely building Galadriel up, and and also it's not gonna all happen in one season either. I mean, we have five yeah. seasons worth you look at you know Game of Thrones as almost a benchmark when you're talking fantasy series and how long it took characters to make change in them. That's part of what is so incredible, right about you know a Lannister like completely changing their tune like it takes a long. Whole <laughs> oh no okay we're not gonna get into that i see you Completely have changing a changing
1: their tune and then one season just unraveling it and then watching them go back and hurting the best <laughs> character that ever existed within game of Thrones' universe i will never get over how they did they did brienne dirty they did her dirty and i will literally never forgive them for that like
0: <laughs> so don't do that rings of power uh, <laughs> well let's so if you, you hurt my were- precious baby nori <laughs> oh i know right uh, game no. over. She's she's so adorable. Uh, but let's let's start with Cal- Galadriel and Halbrand and their whole kind of storyline and, and how it interweaves with Lindell's introduction as well because you were touching on it. They get picked up by the ship. We find out pretty much right away that the ship is indeed from Numenor which was the thing that made me squee out loud because I was so incredibly happy. I love This part of the Middle Earth, well, technically it's not Middle Earth because it's not on Middle Earth, but this part of Tolkien's lore, uh, this city of Numenor, which essentially the breakdown just, I mean, they kind of went over it in the episode a little bit, but war against Morgoth, elves, humans, the humans that helped were gifted this island of Numenor raised out of the sea by the godlike, the demigodlike beings in order to give them a land and it's sort of between middle earth and the undying lands of the elves they were also given the gift of long life so they live hundreds and hundreds of lives hundreds hundreds of hundreds of years but they do not have immortality like elves this is the line that eventually would become the dunedain or dunedain sorry when they leave numenor the island will sink they will be on Middle Earth, and that's where Aragorn comes from. So, this is all Aragorn's lineage that we're learning about and dealing with now, which is what makes me very excited. I have a
1: question. Sorry. Oh, um, yeah. So, for the Dunadon or Dunedain or Dunadine Island, whatever you want to call it. Um,
0: yeah, whatever. <laughs> so,
1: their, the, it's like their genealogy was gifted the long lives. I guess, like mentally, for some reason, I always associate it with like the island itself, is what, like, continued to give them long lines but like if somebody left the island and didn't let's say they didn't get pregnant on the island but like got pregnant on middle earth they would still be able to pass on that longevity right like it's just it's in their blood at that point it's It's not just like you had to be born or like live on the island in order to get that
0: correct okay it is definitely passed down through the the generations through the bloodlines and what I think this story is going to lean into which is not really there's not a lot of conflict between elves and men that's part of the thing that I'm seeing emerge in this episode that's where I feel like this is going to diverge a little bit from Tolkien's writings because it's new and it's going to isolate some fandom because the elves have never really been seen as bad (laughs) and that clearly changes there's something about that that clearly changes in this episode and then the humans there's this conflict with them because the humans are a little bit envious like they're not quite allowed immortality they're like given this in-between gift and ultimately the elves don't you know they get this uh, they're they're resentful of the elves because the elves do have like this full-on immortality and, and such do you think so, it's just
1: immortality though like I just feel like it's just in general just human envy like it's just human nature uh, the, in general envious. yes yeah not just immortality but like of their skills the fact that like you know one elf could do the job of like five tradesmen and do it in half the time so I've absolutely I, I'm wondering if they're gonna take this in a somewhat preachy direction um just the general envy and greed of of just humankind like it's just it's it pride and greed will be our downfall in my opinion.
0: Well, it feels like that, yeah. and, it, and and they're envious of the elves, or they're resentful of the elves thinking that they have given the humans everything they've earned. There's a very important line between Galadriel and Miro uh, in the episode where Galadriel says that. She says, you know, we gave you this island, and Miro's like, excuse me, <laughs> we bled and died and yeah. fought, we earned what we have right here like you didn't just give it to us you so paid us that- like we
1: we paid for this with you know our blood and then you mm-hmm. rewarded us with this island but don't think that it was just un- an unfounded gift like we also died for this
0: absolutely and and that's i think where some of that relationship between those two is going to be really intriguing going forward is how they're going to navigate that as important people in each of their cultures um but yeah, I loved it. I mean, getting to see Numenor, just when we first see the island nation and we we see the ship sailing in, you know, you sent me some screenshots of it as well. Like some of the zoomed out, like full on landscape shots. That's it in is the, just those are
1: the behind crazy. those are like the the episode stills from the X ray content. Like that's just like stuff so that was there. It's good. gorgeous. Like
0: It is
1: Gorgeous.
0: The architecture is so well done because it's very reminiscent of Gondor and what, and because that's what eventually happens. I was like, it's these not people, it, is it
1: reminiscent if it hasn't happened yet.
0: <laughs> that's a good point. It's, it's inspirational. Yeah. But like, that's what's going to look like, right? That's yeah. what Gondor looked like in Lord of the Rings. And so we're keeping that same architectural structures. Um, it just, the big stone statues of gates and the way that they're shown. Oh, I mean, it, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And reminded me of the feeling I had when we first panned out and saw Rivendell, you know, imagined for the first time. And you're like, oh, that's what that looks like. And that's what this is. This is one of, like, the greatest kingdoms in the history of Middle-earth or or the history of Arda or whatever. It should be this amazing. And it was so cool. It just, it looked so awesome, so elegant, so regal. And I was freaking out because... I know it's not going to last forever, right? And it's interesting when you see something in its glory and and you know know what is going to happen. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I do think that like a lot of their scene splits, like their transitional scenes where they're covering vast landscapes are really well done. Where like as they transition, they're showing you fragments and pieces of life in the area that you're going to. Um, so I hope that they continue doing that throughout the show. That it's not just trying to show you snapshots so that you can kind of orient yourself at the beginning. Um, but I think that some of those top level, almost you know, you you know, that they're computer generated to a certain extent. But like those almost drone shot appeals of you know people have like doing things in different areas of this you know middle earth not middle earth space in general i think has been gorgeous um like some of their shots of like the southlands are stunning and like learning that about Hallbrand, i think was like a good like marking moment because i, I told you, i don't i knew he wasn't gonna be Numenorian. like i just i was like there's just something oh yeah i was wrong uh, like
0: I'll own that <laughs> don't think it
1: but like but let's i mean but there's something about him like dudes like let me rip off your arms and beat you with them like
0: he showed some skills. Yeah, I mean, you no, know, we those see- were not
1: skills. Those were like, <laughs> you're not like that. Was one of those moments where I was literally like, after everything that you said about like Sauron in disguise, I was literally like, so Maybe- that was like a massive <laughs> display of power.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's got. He's trained somewhere somehow. He, he's brawler. Angry, and I love how that character development plays out. We yeah. get that, you know, the speechification that I talked about from Galadriel when she's introducing herself and that great interplay with her and the queen regent where she's like trying to be resistant and she is just so independent and so just determined and, and downright like dismissive of this person who is rude. rude. Yeah. And then you get Halbrand who comes in and uses his charisma to save the day. And so we learn real quick. And that combined with that next scene of him with the, I don't even know, but they're just some people in a tavern. Yeah. Who he 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 also steals steals from. (laughs) He steals from them, but like his charisma kind of, you see it on display. You see how he's going to use that to his advantage, which again, I was like, "Mm, that's a Sauron like quality. And then we see him be a brawler. uh, And that was a really interesting dynamic that shows that between Galadriel and him, like how if they're going to stay together on part of this journey, they clearly. Are going to complement each other, yeah. and, and it's going to take both of them because at times you're going to need her strength and her unwaning like determination, and at times you're going to need him to be able to do what he did there, yeah. which is save her from being like, thrown into a, a tower her head chopped off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we learn that he's a rightful king to the Southlands. Uh, Galadriel ultimately when she gets off with a Lindell, they discover, they go to this place called the hall of lore, which I love the name of. I think that's awesome. Just this gigantic building. (laughs) It is on the nose, but I like that. And it's like all, it's just walls and walls of scrolls. It feels very much like things I've seen in, in, Fantasy RPG video games all the time. They always have like well, a it, library it's full of that, scrolls.
1: Uh, what's the name of the place that's what's his name is always trying to go to in Game of Thrones that he finally gets to at the very end? I remember that. Oh, the first, May Sam. Yeah. Uh, I remember yeah. the first shot of that building. I was literally like, I could die in there and be the happiest person in the world. Like,
0: it's exactly what it is. Yeah. Gorgeous. All the knowledge. And, and but they learn that the brand the, that we've seen is actually sideways looks like the Southlands. It looks like. What will eventually become Mordor and Mount Doom, which is really cool. I had not pieced that together. And that was one of those things I got to be like, oh, oh cool. Like on the show, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Um, but and that so was that intentional makes though. It's like they yeah. like
1: literally like you had to turn the entire thing and then see it in perspective of the rest of Middle Earth in order for you to know what that is.
0: Which is a really brilliant use yeah. of a symbol by Absolutely. Sauron. and through this they kind of make the connection of between the southlands and then this like necklace medallion that Halbrand is wearing the symbol on it that essentially identifies him as coming from a lineage of the kings of the southlands and so he's not numenorian we know now that he has this kingly right of some kind gladriel specifically talks about him uniting the southlands Halbrand talks about how his ancestors had done bad and failed and that there's like something to live up to and and it cl- he's giving off major aragorn vibes at this point <laughs> like the king who or the man who should be king who's very reluctant and i'm, I'm intrigued I don't, i'm okay. intrigued by this
1: I don't agree that he's giving off Aragorn vibes. I agree that he's giving off hero vibes. Like as a writer, like this is literally just the story of a hero of like somebody that either didn't want the responsibility that was put on their shoulders, didn't feel like it was deserved or earned, or is so afraid of the failure their predecessors have had that they've just run away from it. So, but like to me, like, he has yet to show me anything that's like Aragorn. Like I said, he's got anger issues. He does not... Again, I know Aragorn has a lot of years of training. And, like, I'm I'm sure that he is, like, what baby Aragorn was like whenever he was, you know, trying to figure out who he was as a person. But, like, the Aragorn that we know, I have yet to see any mark of that within Hallbrand. Like Hall I feel like he's just the hero. Yes, like, there's the... Aragorn's fine with being, like, a, you know, a strider and just chilling and, you know, roaming the plains or whatever. But like Halbrand's, you can tell he's burdened with guilt. Like he's carrying around the yes. the failures of his ancestors, which you never really got that from Aragorn.
0: No, I I don't. I, I sorry, I definitely did not mean to compare them in a like character mm. way. Like they're their character of being. Aragorn is a hero. Period. Like he is the hero archetype. He is good. He is purely good. <laughs> and Halbrand is not like that. He has flaws, right? We've seen them. And Aragorn would not do some of the things we've seen Halbrand do. He just wouldn't see, he wouldn't treat people that way. And so I'm just saying, clearly from the like idea of this man who would be king, mm. who doesn't really want to take up the crown for whatever reason. His reason seems to be because his ancestors have done evil and now he's kind of unsure about that. I now think that he's not Sauron. Yeah, I, I think don't, it would I don't be- think he's Sauron. I think the show would be probably doing itself a disservice to introduce us to Sauron in the first episode. And but what I do think and and this is combined now with the idea of what Theo found, right? Mm. He found that relic Halbrand being a king of the Southlands. I fully believe because of what we have seen from Halbrand and his character that he is a prime suspect to become a Nazgul because what is gonna happen is the men are going to get the ruling men nine kings are gonna get rings and the men are the ones who go corrupt right so we are gonna have to see that happen at some point (laughs) that's the tragic fall that i think Halbrand may ultimately (laughs) that's the path he may go on now whether he becomes the witch king of angmar you know, I'm sure we'll probably find that person eventually, but I think I think Halbrand may be being set up to be a Nazgul, Yeah. That's me twirling out.
1: my mustache. Sorry, I'm just yeah. I didn't think about it. It's like an that. episode
0: that's like a season three, four kind of fall. But yeah, well and I think I the would other like thing that.
1: is like we don't know we technically, like we know that there are five seasons. We don't know where in the story it's going to actually end. Like for all we know, it's going to end with a sealed door, you know, chopping off the ring Final and then shot, failing. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> for all we know, like, that's where it's going to end. So, we don't know whether, like, yes, I have a feeling we're going to see all the rings being made and stuff like that. But we don't know if we get to that point with a sealed door chopping off the finger, whether or not, like, do the Nazgul exist at that point?
0: They, I don't think so because they maybe that it's about the time that they I was like I feel like yeah I don't know the timeline if
1: Sauron died or like disappeared or whatever like the Nazgul just like you know like when a dwarf just sits in his mountain and counts his gold he just slowly just withers and just turns into like a so like I'm wondering whether or not like the Nazgul were already there fighting and they were corrupted by the very end of Sauron's reign or or where that happens but I had never thought about like yeah like all the ruling men are gonna have to and we've only met like two so far. So it's, oh, well, yeah. Like I got to work through this now, Aaron. You got it. You're giving yeah. me, you're giving me stuff to, to ponder, to yeah. let, oh, come okay, on. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited
0: okay, about that. But now I'm that.
1: worried that I'm going to look at him differently in every episode.
0: <laughs> I know. It kind of, yeah. I mean, you'll fall in love with him at some point and, and always in the back of your mind, you'll be like, oh no, it's going to go bad.
1: Something. They've done but that that's in a good couple episodes telling. where I'm sitting there that's... and I'm like, uh, <laughs> please don't hurt them. Oh, okay. Thank goodness.
0: So, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, am I'd love to see that. I would love to get to know a character that ultimately gets that thing because yeah. we don't know anything about them. It's, it's all there, at least from a cinematic standpoint, they've been very reserved with background of
1: those. Yeah, which I think is good. It's a smart play for a five season stretch. But then you have characters like Elendil that we, even if you haven't read the stories, you know of him. You may not even realize that you know of him because every when they said when they finally did give his name, I was literally like, why do I know that name? And then I remembered the light of Elendil, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like this is the dude that was like, he was gifted, wasn't he, he was like gifted life or like his death was gifted where like he traveled into the night sky or something like that, right? And he became the brightest, like he became the brightest star on his death. I mentally never put together that he was the father of Isildur. I, I don't, like, I've just, for some reason, that just always was separate whenever I was watching the later Lord of the Rings movies. And so, like, mm-hmm. meeting all, at least two of them right now, um, of his children and seeing them separately. And then the intro to door where, again, I find it very interesting. They're doing this really interesting thing where they're like, we're going to give you, like, Three minutes with this character, and we're not going to say their name. We're going to let you think that you might know who they are, and then all of a sudden, somebody's going to be like, "Oh, let me just whisper rumors about you as you walk in slow motion down a hallway, or like as you're walking about a town, and like
0: somebody literally whispers his name. Yeah, there's like a female voice. What that is that? Whispers- he he looks off to Middle Earth, right? Yeah, because that's what the shoreline, I believe, is. And he hears. I have no idea. I was going to ask you. I have no clue. I have no idea what's calling him.
1: I be- I feel like if they pull some shady like cheesy shit where they're like it's destiny calling.
0: Oh no. No. It's got to be like some for something. I don't know, but it's It has to be somebody that
1: like is prophetic in one way. Like somebody has prophesized what Isildur will do in Middle Earth and that's the draw that he feels. And it's like we meet Aurion, his sister. Which, in my opinion, that's just my name, but as a Middle Earth name, it, it, it's it just is It's Arian, it, <laughs> is Aaron. Um, well, I guess it's your name too. Uh, but like, it's it's. I'll take it. Uh, like we meet them, we see the very, very stark contrast in how Elendil treats both of them. We know of his other brother, but we never we have yet to meet him, right? Yeah, we didn't meet him, but you can tell there's a lot of tension around that, um, and there's a lot of tension around the missing mother. And I say missing loosely because. You know, we don't have all of the background story, but you can tell that Elendil hasn't fully processed his grief and or trauma associated with his wife no longer being present. Ayodian's just trying to keep the family unit together, but she's also, there's something that I like about her, but not in the same way of Celebrimbor. There's something that I don't trust about her. Like, I feel like she is a very, very smart character and she's playing chess very carefully, but to what outcome, I don't know yet. Like, I can tell, like, I feel like her support of a door chasing his dreams, full well knowing that it's going to piss off her father, she doesn't seem to care that much about the weight of those decisions, and that's what makes me question her motives, is that she doesn't seem to really care that she's literally telling her brother to abandon everything that her father has, like, put forth for him and, like, tried to Mm -hmm. help him with, and then when her dad's like, I'm not talking to you, she's like, "Mm -hmm, okay, like." Like she just doesn't seem yeah. to care about like what the impact of those decisions is going to be. So I'm, I'm very cautious to like fully like be on the Arian train, but Isildur totally down for love him. Love his adventurous spirit. Love watching him be like, Oh, I'm a daydream. Oh, I almost killed everybody on the ship. Sorry. My bad. Like, I like their brother and sister like, um you can see that there's like a cheek to their relationship that I really like, as well as his relationship with his uh the two or three guy friends that he has from the ship. But they're all all of their motives are really unclear right now. And
0: yeah.
1: I think I feel like Isildur is the clearest motive where like you can tell he doesn't want to be doing what he's doing and he feels super conflicted, but he can tell that his pull is elsewhere. But everybody else's motives you don't really know about yet.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think I I like their introduction a lot, and Isildur, the fun of his character for most of us, is just going to be watching him go on that journey. Now, he, unlike Halbrand's, maybe that we were talking about, we know what Isildur's end is going to be. It is tragic. So, how does he go from this young, adventurous kid all the way to the point where he refuses to destroy the One Ring and causes the entire vents of the Third Age <laughs> because he can't go through with it, right? Like, That's what selfish. is it that... You, the, the only shot of a Isildur we have in the trilogy is him smirking. I don't know if you remember it clearly. Probably do. Yeah, yeah. But, like, there's during the prologue, and Elrond, I believe it's Elrond, is telling yeah. him, like, throw it in the fire! And he just looks back and he just casts it into
1: and the fire! Like,
0: and he's like, no, yeah. right? And so, how do we get to that point? And then, uh, Arion is awesome because total blank canvas, completely yeah. created character, doesn't exist in the books. And so, I'm super excited when they said when when they when she got that news and she was like, "I've been accepted as an apprentice to the Builders Guild." I was like, "Builder! Oh my gosh, she is 100% totally going to get in on that Kalibrimbor action, and she's going to be a part of." creation of the rings and like she's going to be on that storyline i'm just i'm well and I'm almost positive that's her path
1: what i can't wait to see is how they develop a friendship with isildur and elrond and so i feel like that's going to be the link there is that like his sister working within the builders of this is going to be that like bridged gap of like oh this is my brother like so like that because i feel like like, I don't expect Elrond and Isildur to be, like, a buddy cop comedy or anything like that, but, like, to lean on each other, especially especially when we know what the end result is going to be of, like, Elrond's like, dude, we're going to go into this volcano and you're going to, like, throw that piece of metal into the fire, all right? And, like, they trek up there and then he's, like, he has, like, a almost an anime level, like, Isildur! when he, like, says no and walks out. But I also find it super funny that, like, he just let him walk out. Like, (laughs) he didn't fight him. He's like, I'm not going to throw this ring in. It's fine. Like, I'm just going to – I'm going to go back home. It's cool. And Elrond was like, no! So, like, I'm interested to see, like, if that level of disappointment is because he knows he just lost his friend or Mm -hmm. is that level of disappointment because he knows what this will cost Middle-earth.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I think what's really neat is watching how the – storytellers through the rings of power create those relationships and those scenes where when we watch the trilogy and we see flashbacks or we see other references they feel like they line up yeah right like what you're saying right now obviously was not part of the intent when they were creating that moment when Peter Jackson was filming it but great filmmaking or series tv making or whatever is being able to make us get to the point where we can then watch that scene and see it in an additional way um and that will be really cool one of the other things that we get with elendil is this moment and i i put it on facebook today and i was just like freaking out because i realized and so we get this the beginnings of this okay it's like a
1: tiny toothpick
0: it is. It is a letter opener. It is not a tooth. A tooth. It is. What
1: this, is what is a letter opener <laughs> but a larger toothpick?
0: <laughs> this is Andoril, Aragorn's sword. However, where did Andoril come from? This is the sword we see, Elendil gifted. Is it by Miriel. Well, it's called Narsil, and. It is this. Well, yeah, it is. It's it's design wise, it's pretty clear. Like it's slightly different than the way they they designed it in Lord of the Rings. That's what I'm saying, I'm like getting, what Karen. happens
1: if like this sword just like I'm waiting. I want like I guess I wanted like a bigger it's, it's moment a for it. Like I wanted I wanted there to be a bigger <laughs> moment for it. Then like if we all I don't know. I felt it was pretty strong. What it is, I felt like, that, like I wanted it to be like not, I don't know, like sword in the stone moment or anything like that. But like just something where like he. I don't know. I I I guess I just expected something a little bit more grandiose.
0: Maybe I I yeah I mean I guess I I loved it I thought it was perfect I thought it was just right There's a moment it's laid out to him we just breathe I I would have liked them to linger on it I did have to like really pause and like go a couple like frame by frame to get the right shot where he had his hands on it because it is pretty quick it moves fast so I would have also liked like a hold yeah for a little bit but like just having him with his hands receiving the sword. Knowing that the future of this sword is part of the sword, once it's broken, his son is gonna eventually cut off Sauron's finger with it. Those shards are eventually going to be a big plot point and be reforged into Anduril, Aragorn's, Aragorn's sword, which is you know this symbol of him being the rightful king. Oh gosh, I don't know. I was just like totally geeking out at that moment, and and I love that that's all we got was he got it. That's it. Yeah. Like he doesn't use it. He's just, he's got it. Okay, cool. Now we can move along. And I'm curious about his other son, uh, Anarion, who is yeah. really not part of the story yet. Like, But there's is there a reason there. he's, he's being withheld for some reason. Yeah, what's, what's going to be happening there is pretty interesting. Do
1: you think that his then, other son maybe went to Middle-earth and like... Not necessarily abandon the Numenorian way, but like you can tell there's a lot of tension around like Numenorians are supposed to be like seafarers. They're supposed to be people that are like so proud to like be on the ocean and stuff like that. Like I wonder whether or not that tension is the same pull that a Isildur feels towards Middle Earth where he's, you know, getting names whispered to him in the dark or whatever. Like I feel like there's tension because his other brother, maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe his other brother went to the Middle Earth, like went to Middle Earth and was corrupted by Morgoth. Like we don't know that story. And like with them being not ageless, but like ageless for lack of a better phrase, like his brother just disappearing could have happened 10 years ago, could have happened 100 years ago. Like we don't really know. Um, and we don't have that backstory yet. But if you can tell that there's definitely some tension and cross belief systems when they talk about him.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. I hadn't even thought about that, that we didn't know how long. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're right. The time is all over the place i'm talking 20
1: years and, and to an elves. elf is... yeah
0: <laughs> so both of them have these long lifespans exactly uh yeah no i i'm but i'm curious I'm, I'm really intrigued now to like eventually get to meet him and hopefully and and see how those family dynamics play into that yeah. storyline and there's a brief mention of elros kind of our last big point of numenorean lore uh, Elros was the king of Numenor when it was raised out of the sea and created. So Elros was given kingdom of the humans, and Elrond was given kingdom of the elves, essentially. Um, or like Elrond's much more a leader in the actual lore. He's not like a speechwriter, like <laughs> like he is in the show. He's a little bit of a higher level than he is like portrayed to us. So, but they were brothers. So his brother, Elrond's brother, is the original king who they mention has been deposed and is now in a tower, like in confined, they say kept in exile in a tower. So he's Rapunzel. I'm really curious what's going on here. Is he going to end up being Muriel's father? Because she speaks to someone in a tower. She goes up a tower. She talks to someone who's off screen and she's like the elf has arrived it's the moment we've been expecting or waiting for
1: i don't think it's her father i don't think it's her father i don't feel like he would have she would have called him like i don't think she would have called her the elf if it was a- another elf
0: i don't either in lore her father is named tar palantir or Palin- Palin- it's something that sounds like palantir now palantir oh. is also oh. the name of the orbs that allow you to see the future And so the reason that he has the same name is because he is known, her father is known for his foresight. He has the ability to see the future, essentially. So when she says the moment has come that we expected, to me, it's probably him because he has seen that Galadriel will come. What does this all mean? I have no freaking clue. Where is Elros in this? In a different tower in exile? And why? What is going to be the... You know, political dynamic of <laughs> they have kicked off the king <laughs> who was originally in charge, and it, they're like, literally, like basically, like a coup happened. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like it. All we get is the the fallout of the fact that there is like a very big elf anti-elf sentiment in the nation, and yet there is like an underground faction led by Alindel, not led by, but like the, that that Alindel ascribes to, which is like I'm, you know, they're still friends of elves. Uh, which she tells Galadriel. And I'm, I'm just so fascinated by like the political intrigue now yeah, between the what, humans and the elves.
1: What I felt so interesting, like I was, part of me, when I went back and rewatched the episode, I was like, okay, so you told us that dude was deposed and is in exile in this tower. And then Elendil and uh, Galadriel go to this tower, but we don't see him. So is, one, is he actually there? It feels like a weird thing for her to be like, hey, I'm an elf. I know that one of our elves is not being treated very well here. I'll just let him chill in that tower and maybe I'll think about coming back for him later. Like sh- like there's literally like no recognition of what to do with the fact that you have somebody that's living in exile, which is literally captivity and you don't care. Um, so that was like a weird point to me that like stood out. Um, I do agree that like I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Mediel's father is a hu- just a human king. But like there was a coup. She's been running as queen regent essentially. So she like she is not technically their leader because if he's still alive then technically he is still king so she's queen regent um so i do think that possibly like some of her hard front is to put on a good face and a good show for her people and knowing that she has to help make even if she doesn't necessarily agree with the sentiments of her people she has to stand behind them because she's not the technical ruler and she saw what happened to elros that she doesn't want that to happen to her and her father and so I, I think that that might be some of that burden that I was discussing earlier, where like we there's something else that we don't know about that she has yet to mention or bring up that will hopefully obviously clear the air in the next couple of episodes. But yeah, I, I think it's it's really interesting that we're we're seeing this dynamic of political intrigue um, on display, but we're not given enough of the pieces up front. Um, they're doing a great job of like peppering us with details that we're we're gonna remain curious about in future episodes. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, And how they literally want like nothing to do with Middle Earth. They want nothing to do with Middle Earth. They want nothing to do with Valinor. They want literally just to just chill in the middle of the sea. Just let us exist and leave us
0: alone. Yep.
1: I totally uh... get that sentiment.
0: Which is exactly how (laughs) they tend to feel like (laughs) once we get to Lord of the Rings for a long period of time as well. They're like, we don't want to get involved. Well, uh, you don't get to not get involved. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. There's that great line, you know, like it's coming. Whether you want to be involved or not, Sauron is here, buddy. We'll and it's live, live again. and let live. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do the Harfoots next. So the Harfoot storyline, which actually I was a little bit surprised when I did my rewatch to note that it doesn't even kick in until I mean halfway through the episode. Like, yeah, halfway through. It was a ways. Essentially, the the per- progress of this is we get we learn that the Harfoots are. About to migrate, which we get to learn a little bit about their culture. It felt like we see that they're having this festival to celebrate the time that they've spent at their current location to honor the dead that have um, that have occurred since they last migrated, and then they're just preparing to exit and go. i f- and sorry. I, I think just really something to
1: point out is the. I I would like to just say the assumed dead. Only because all we know is that they were left behind. We don't know really anything else about them or what happened to them. It's just assumed that if you're left behind, because these are nomadic travel, like pack travelers, that it's it, you that it's assumed that if you are a hardfoot, you are meant to be as a group, as a pack. So, like Good the point. likelihood of you traveling on your own and surviving is very, very low. So, I, I, I guess my brain is just assumed dead, like. There's that beautiful moment where Poppy, like you, you actually realize Poppy is the only person left of her family. It's like mm-hmm. you, you. He lists off like five or six people from her family, and she's literally the only person left. And you see her at the end carrying her own caravan by herself, and it's like there's this moment where I, I can't even remember what it was. it was like a I like something in the snow or something happened, but he literally lists off four or five names, and she's just crying, and like you realize like Nori is her only family, and that's why she is the way that she is around her. But like I was just gonna say, like assumed dead because we really don't technically know.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Um, it and it's a really moving little ceremony. I thought it was just it was so neat to like live in their world and yeah. like feel like an observer of this like ritual that they have and the whole we wait for you moment um, where they all call back and and I really like that. I like seeing them, you know, chanting. As they were on their way up to it and they're like, nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone. Nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone. And we really, really get this great sense while with we spend time with them about how risk averse they are. They they say it and they show it over and over and over. Like we are not taking risks. It is 100% about survival. And if you are not doing something to ensure better odds of your survival, then you shouldn't be doing it, Period. And that's just the way they work. And if you break Harfoot law, you get what's called caravan And so when Nori and Poppy end up stealing this star map, essentially to help the stranger to calculate where he's at, I'm guessing is kind of the plot line that's going on here. He, he wants the star map so he can figure out how to read the stars. They steal it. They get caught because they've, you know, befriended him and brought him into the Well, he the ruins town. their ceremony. Yeah, he like, well, it, 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 hilariously out, trips yeah.
1: and like it's a very cartoonish moment, but like there's a there's a s uh, like there's a solemnness to it where you're like, it's funny, but it's also not funny because you're like it was like you literally just party crashed a funeral. Like that was pretty much what or like a wake <laughs> is really what just happened. <laughs> and so uh and then it gets to this very like gravity like gripping moment where uh Sardok, thankfully, is like you know she's a child, she doesn't know any better. um, we all know Nori is like pure of heart and she wants to believe you know the best in people, even if it does you know potentially endanger her, like she didn't do this to endanger the rest of us, so instead of decaravanning, we're gonna make them stay at the back of the caravan, which. Sardok knows is a way to hit the middle ground between what the rest of the group expects as well as what is just because he knows that with her father's injury, putting them at the back of the caravan essentially is de-caravanning them.
0: Yeah, it's a huge disadvantage. <laughs> and without the stranger ultimately being with them and helping them. I love that.
1: The- love that end I- moment.
0: I yeah, they're really making it hard not to see Gandalf. I mean, I just think it the is yeah, Gan- he... no no no.
1: After <laughs> our last discussion, I think it is Gandalf. I'm pretty sure it's the Gandalf. The way Yeah.
0: The goodness of him coming yeah. through over and over and and even when he does the bumbling like mistake, it's because he his innate power lights up the fire yeah. around him. He doesn't do it on purpose. He doesn't understand what he's doing at that moment. And so
1: no, yeah, I, I'm really I'm I'm pretty sure it's Gandalf. Like after our whole really conversation, doing. I rewatched it, and now every time I watch it, I'm like, "What's up?" Yeah, you're gonna It'll be, be you're gonna be him, aren't you? <laughs> like, no, I, I definitely but think I, it is. I yeah. liked it. I liked no, it. I I thought, thought, I, I thought all of their scenes though. were really just beautifully orchestrated in such a simple way. Um, like I, I like the, I like how close all of their scenes feel. Like you're very in, like, even the camera work is very like in the face of these characters. It just makes you immediately feel like you're part of that community and you're part of those events. And so I think that those shots were actually some of my favorite scenes from this episode.
0: Totally agree. And overall, just again, like I appreciate the way that the storytelling is mostly doing the show and not tell that you said earlier, things like they don't stop to explain why they're wearing hats and why the caravans are covered with the weeds on top of them. Like, it's just obvious. They're clearly trying to sneak through these fields and be as conspicuous as possible and not noticed. You just... You just can put two and two together. <laughs> well, they and showed so that in the I first like
1: episode. And like that was so cool is to see like it was almost like you were watching the landscape come to life when those like mm-hmm. the hunters or the travelers like passed by as everybody was like, okay, all clear. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, that rock just moved or like, holy crap, that tree is not a tree. Like I thought that was a really cool way to show how they, when they want a simple undisturbed life and they're not trying to disturb anybody else and they just don't want to be disturbed by them. And I thought that was a really cool dynamic.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Well, the, the other big plotline is Aaron Deer and oh, there goes there goes Aaron with the her hands are over thoughts. her face for have, you audio listeners. I have thoughts. Well, I'll just give brief quick synopsis. He's captured by the orcs that we saw at the end of the last episode. He's thrown into a slave camp with a bunch of other elves. Couldn't tell. Think there might be some humans in there, but it's definitely a bunch of other elves. They're being forced to dig tunnels in the Southlands, clearly That's how they got him, right? Was through one of these tunnels that had been dug into the little human settlement that he was kind of policing, essentially, as a Sylvan elf soldier. And we get this whole plot line with they want them to cut down this big tree. The elves are like, "Uh uh-uh, because we like trees. (laughs) I'm guessing. It's like, hello, he's a Sylvan elf. He is from the forest. (laughs) He kind of likes trees. And they refuse. They somewhat oddly get like completely taken advantage of and seem to believe the orcs when they're just like giving them some food and drink as a as a break, and then one of them gets their th- throat slit, and ultimately they revolt. Um there's a big fight. Arondir tries to help one of his buddies escape. He gets nowhere. He gets outside of the big mining area up on the ridge and gets some arrows to the chest and dies, and Arondir ultimately gets to meet the big bad of this particular season is what I'm guessing in this character who we've never seen before named Adar, who is a dark elf. And I, I say dark, not in a sense of like Drist, where he's like dark-skinned. Although, I, I don't know, could we tell? Maybe He might be dark-skinned. But He's he dark, looked, he as in looked like
1: pale when he was shadowing. He's evil. I was walking up; it looked kind of pale.
0: He he's evil. He's bad. He's like leading the orcs, and it's an elf. And this is not something that Tolkien has really dealt with before. So we are in untreaded waters, and my mind was going like a million miles an hour, and I didn't know what to think about this whole thing. So you have thoughts. I do. Did, what did did you like this section?
1: I thought this sent this section was. Uh, It was designed intentionally to be a tension-building mechanism for the action components of these episodes. Um, So I just want to read one thing from the X-Ray Trivia about the Sylvan Elves that you mentioned. It says, Sylvan Elves hold a great love for trees, delighting in their wood and and the life within them, often watching them grow from acorns to ruinous old age. Given enough time, they say they might even hear the voices of the trees and understand their thoughts." So that explains that scene where he goes up to the tree and essentially, like, thanks it for its service and, like, apologizes for what he's going to have to do to it before he actually starts chopping it. Now, my problems with this are we are finally given a darker-skinned elf, and they chose to put him in a slave camp and to lead a slave revolt. I wondered
0: if you would, yeah.
1: I just... I I, I'm I'm just read the room. Yeah, I'm, I'm really torn. I'm really torn. Because again, like I said, it was a smart way to build tension. I just don't know if and it was it was it was semi thoughtfully executed. But I don't Yeah, I don't think there was a read the room moment where anybody was like, Hey, should we really be doing this with this one character? Like, they could have done this with Bronwyn. Like they could have done this with like you could have you could have chosen another character and like they could have done it where he was then trying to rescue Bronwyn or like they could have flipped the script in a little bit of a different way. I just I don't know if anybody stood back or stood above it and was like, is this sending the right? subconscious message and i'm sure people are going to hear me say this and like, oh, you're thinking too much into it except for the fact that literally black people for goodness knows how long are just consistently placed in situations that resemble this and i just find it interesting that even in a fantastical setting somehow black people still end up in a, a slave camp of some kind um now the scene with the warg and or like what I think, I mean, I'm assuming they are, they're still wargs. It's just like an earlier version of the warg that we know from. It's the
0: first version. Yeah, it's
1: the first, it's like a little bit you know, cartoonish. It's the beta. A little bit
0: cartoonish. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> and so it's the beta. Yeah. We'll, we'll, work, we'll work this out in post and in prod. Like that's released or whatever. And it's obviously like some crazy, rabid, you know, insane dog thing. But I've, like, what frustrates me about all of these scenes is that I don't feel like any of them are acting like elves. We have not seen any display of superior senses. We have not seen like massive displays of strength. like it takes like five of them to chop a chain. like I don't I, I feel like there's a gap of of power from what we've seen of elves and their you know preternatural senses that we're not getting there. Like you're telling me that this dude just finally climbed out of the hole and ran and then was immediately taken down by arrows that we don't actually see where they come from. And then Arondir's trying to climb out and he's like struggling at the very top and holding on like a kid at the edge of a cliff. And I'm just like, dude, you should be able to literally leap out of there and be fine. Like, so I, I feel like there's a gap in what we know of elves and their power and what they're capable of and what we're seeing in these scenes. And I I feel like that's where I'm having issues with his storyline so far, is that it feels almost as if it, it would be like if I had expect like the way that they're behaving is how I would expect somebody that's half elf half human to behave is they have some of the senses they have some of the you know abilities, but they're not you know fully they're not fully baked essentially, but like I don't feel like we're getting the the sheer magnitude of how powerful elves are out of who we've met so far, and it's a, it's slightly disappointing there
0: I agree with all of that. I made the slave reference to and kind of was shaking my head silently because i knew that was gonna turn people off and i think that's a problematic choice for that reason because what you don't need to do is unnecessarily isolate people in your fan base even if it's unintentional those are deep traumatic wounds that many people today still have not from necessarily experiencing it themselves, but from understanding it's that their whole trauma. lives have come from that, right? And so, I, I I can't feel that myself, but I can be empathetic to it, and that's why it's like a, a man, Oh, did you have to do it this way? So I, I just, I don't know that you can save it now. I, I mean, obviously they're not doing this week to week. I'm glad that he is the hero of the situation at least, but ultimately, yeah, uh, just a poor choice, agree, and- Yes, I have some. There's some weirdness about the way he's being given to us. I like him as a character idea, and I like the performance a lot. And I, that's this also goes into part of like the frustration with when it comes to the racial nature of the fandom. And people are going after his character because he's the black elf. And like, you can't give the one time you're going to have a black elf, you can't have him be the one with the not great storyline. Like, I mean, come on, like you got to go above and beyond to make sure that this is rock solid. If you're like, going to do it, it's going to have to be a
1: really strong recovery for me not to feel yeah. like it's segmented. Like I'm Shoe-horned not getting the same yeah. vibes from him that I got from Threndwheel Lego or Legolas. And it's like, I understand that those two are like a bar, but yep. It's you're you're not giving me enough to make me feel like doing something like this. Cause like we didn't have enough of we didn't have enough time to bond with him as a character to see where this downturn actually like lands an impact. And that's my problem with it, I think, is that like if this had been if he had been captured or, you know, taken captive for some reason or another. Further into the season, where we had formed a bomb with him, and we understood like where his shortcomings were, or like we understood kind of like he he got captured trying to save or rescue some, but like something. But dude was literally just like swimming in a cavern in a hole, and then was hiding, and then some arms came out and was like, "Oh yeah, we're taking you out." Like he he couldn't fight them. Like do you you like they didn't knock you out. They literally just dragged you into a hole, and you're telling me that as an elf you couldn't take two orcs?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little inconsistent with what we see at the end of this, where he goes you know full c g i absolutely elf, and like starts wrecking things almost like he takes them out, makes the great move to like bring sunlight down on them to get to get them scared and and like frustrated, ultimately is not successful and gets recaptured, so I guess that's part's consistent with him not being great, and maybe that's the whole point is he is just an ever he's just a He's just a normal elf soldier. Like, he's not special. Yeah, maybe he's that not, is
1: It's is like the ones that we have met or, are like above and beyond what, I mean? what like a regular yeah. elf soldier would be. I guess that's a good point. I never thought and, about it and that And perhaps
0: way. he's going to go on that journey to eventually become that. I, I do. I, I mean, we won't harp on it every episode. I just wish that the slavery thing hadn't been part of his backstory. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, and I... you could,
0: I, You can get there without going through that. You know what I mean? And I but, will say well, that the know.
1: fight choreography but, for this was really well done. Um, I thought the, the costuming and makeup for the orcs is really great. I thought that they did a they look like, so and I good was, I was hesitant because I didn't know whether I really was hoping that they, like, I think that, and I know we've talked about this in our uh, Feel and Film podcast, podcast group, but I'm so happy that they went the prosthetics route versus the CGI route because it does give two completely different perspectives for characters. And in my opinion, I will always, always prefer, even though I understand it's not only more costly, but it is more time constrictive. I will always prefer physical acting with prosthetics and a costume over something that they they CGI place onto something. So I'm really, really happy that they went that route and that they didn't make all the orcs look the same because orcs still are a subculture. Every single one of them is going to look different. And I did always feel like within Lord of the Rings, because I know they just essentially replicated the same person through technology in like a billion lines of code just to show that, you know, the sheer vastness of an army. I get that. But I do love that all these small, clean snapshots that we're getting of orcs, they all look like different
0: people. Yep. I totally agree with you. I think the orcs look amazing. I was mixed on the CGI personally. it's, it's, It's consistent, again, consistent with the trilogy and what we've seen previously with the flipping and again, the slow motion. I guess that's probably to make it look Better in CGI. I don't know if it has to all be slow motion. I thought some of that was maybe unnecessary to slow it down, but I get it. I uh, think it's also he's... to
1: imply. I think it is to imply the preternatural senses, though, as the slow motion is to show that they are to him exactly yeah. like things are. Things are slowing down in his sight. Um, I don't want it point. to see it abused, but I do understand thoughtful choices of using slow motion for for beings that it would literally slow down for them, so that they could react accordingly.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very valid point. Um, it was good. I mean, it was still it was, it was fun to finally to see some fighting It was the only bit we got in this episode. Yeah. So I, I liked that we had something there. And then and it leads to this villain. And so I wanted to read this. This was from the casting call when they were putting it out for this villain. And they he actually had a different name I was reading when they put the mm-hmm. casting call out. So Adar is a new, sec, a new name or was withheld until they actually had the person on hand. And they they had put it out as this a villain who can also evoke a deep sense of pathos and wounded fallen nobility must possess a certain degree of physicality should seem middle aged, though, must also project a sense of timelessness. I don't know what this is like, you know, are they making Sauron an elf? I don't know what's happening. Sauron is a shapeshifter at this point. So that is important to remember that he disguises himself to manipulate the elves, Celebrimbor, into making the rings. That doesn't mean he has to not, has to manipulate him as a human, right? Maybe it's Sauron projecting as an elf. That would be fascinating to me, because then it would not be inconsistent with Tolkien's lore at all, but I don't know what's going on, and either way, it's got me super intrigued.
1: Yeah, and I was reading an article the other day that says like Adar is like the Elf word for father or like leader, and then it's like or it's like the Orc word. It's in like the Black Tongue speech or whatever. Um, it means father. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very interested because if I'm not like I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like weren't like the Urchai created by Sauron?
0: The orcs were. They used sor- to be elves. Sort of. So the Urukai were created by Saruman. Saruman,
1: sorry. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he created Later. them by merging orcs.
0: Yes. Sauron created and Morgoth originally created the Orcs. The Orcs. By, they yeah. were they are. They're they're elves. They were
1: yeah. like corrupted mm-hmm. and they're off-brand corrupted elves.
0: elves. Um, <laughs> corrupted is the best. Yeah,
1: they're 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 the Mr. Pib of elves. But like uh so the fact that they're calling him father leads me. To think that. And that was one of the like the rabbit holes that I went into where I was like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I was like, but what the heck does this word mean? I'm tired of people just chanting things. So uh that's the interesting thing there is that they call him father. So I'm wondering whether or not it is. But I also think it would be a really interesting choice, and I'm not sure how I feel about them immediately giving us Sauron as a villain from the very beginning, versus us thinking that, like you were saying, like we said the last episode, it's like he's a shapeshifter. We don't know. Who or what he looks like right now, and so calling this character Adar versus actually saying their name. So if they're just calling him Father, that's not his actual name. That's just what we know him as right now. So that could mm-hmm. also be in in an add to like him potentially being Sauron in the future. So it's 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 going to be interesting because if he's a shapeshifter, but we've been introduced to him as the original villain, like. Where, where's like what's the twist gonna be? What's the surprise gonna be for this? Does that mean that all of our surprises are gonna be with all the other threads? Which is fine. I just, I just, we don't know who this person is yet.
0: We could be seeing him as multiple people too. We could see him as multiple characters and not have any idea that they're all the same. Yeah. Thing. They're all Sauron by the end of this. Like, so where he is a virtual unknown, and I think that is part of the strength of what they have to play with here. Because it's they get to make it all up. Yeah. They get to decide how to get him from point A to point B. All we have is the destination. And so we're at their mercy of just theorizing and making guesses and being, you know, twisted around. And so but I, I love it. I love the potential exploration here of a dark elf, a fallen elf i should start saying fallen Fallen i don't want to keep saying dark
1: i don't like i don't don't like the dark well i also like i know we've talked about it before but like the automatic assumption where dark magic is associated with yeah blackness or i mean like
0: drist is my dark elf guy and like he's not bad but yes um, fallen. i like fallen elf i like But fallen is is great like he seems like a fallen elf or corrupted corrupted elf and where that goes and how the culturally it's gonna play out is should be really fascinating. I'm
1: interested so. to see what they uh make him look like makeup wise because I don't I think there's going to have to be an inherent beauty to him and an inherent beauty to like his bone structure, but they're going to have to show what being fallen or what being corrupted changes. So like you I want us to be able to look at him and be like that is an elf, but also know like that's not Legolas, that's not, you know, Elrond. That like that that is an off brand elf, like
0: something <laughs> I love it. I think up, something something sums up. Uh. If I titled these episode releases, I would title this one The Off-Brand Elf," <laughs> Just because. Everything, I think is I wanna, just, I
1: wanna, like I said, is a Mr. Pip of Elves. I want to get
0: that in, out there into the social media <laughs> zeitgeist or whatever. <laughs> but, well, I think that covers it. So where can people find you if they want to continue and have a conversation with you about this online anywhere?
1: Uh, you can find me on most social platforms under essentially Aaron, uh, Ehuns under on, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, just shoot me a ping happy to chat all things nerdy
0: and you can find me pretty much everywhere using the handle aaron l white A A R O N E L W H I T E on twitter facebook instagram you name it that's where i am letterboxd etc and you can find us both in the feel and film facebook discussion group links to all of that are in the show notes to every episode thank you for listening uh, as always we appreciate it we had a blast and we will be looking forward to doing it again next week see you then